0: Welcome back to week three of our series, Monsters. In this series, we've been looking at the attitudes and behaviors of people that both impact our ability to be in right relationship with each other, but also create a gap between ourselves and our Heavenly Father. We've learned that boundaries are critical for our relationships to be healthy, and that if we let it, our anger will take control of our lives. Today, we're gonna look at another famous monster, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. The story of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde was written by Robert Louis Stevenson, and it tells the story of a young scientist, Dr. Henry Jekyll. Henry had a dark side, and he wanted to indulge in pleasures that he knew was wrong, so he created a potion to help him become someone else, Mr. Hyde. Hyde would do unspeakable things, and he even began murdering people. Dr. Jekyll would transform into this person to enjoy these forbidden pleasures, but over time, the transformations began to happen without his control. He was becoming more and more like Mr. Hyde and less like Dr. Jekyll. The more he indulged this persona, the more and more he staggered down into the abyss of his desires. He was pretending to be something he was not. The question this story brings up for me is, who was really the person underneath? Was it Jekyll? Or was it hide? This time of year is known for people wearing costumes and masks. There are all kinds of costumes out there. Scary, funny, even a little witty. I honestly have seen some pretty amazing costumes in my day. People can be really creative, and my little guys, they love to dress in costumes. I think it's because they love to pretend to be superheroes or ninjas, which is quite something they're not able to do or be themselves. I think we all do that. We wear costumes so we can pretend to be something we're not. Have you ever known someone you believed was fake? I think we've all interacted with people who we called fake. Someone who pretends to be something they're not because they want to seem friendly, important, or religious. They seem to put on an air of self-righteousness and faith, but in their personal hidden life, they're living the life of someone who does not really know God. I think we've all interacted with someone in our lives who fit this criteria. Maybe it's a friend who says all the right things and and seems to be on your side, but you later find out is talking about you behind your back. Maybe it's a boyfriend or girlfriend who you find out is seeing someone else or, or a spouse you've caught in adultery. It might be a pastor or religious leader in a church you attended who turns out was battling alcohol addiction for years. In the book about Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, Robert Louis Stevenson wrote, with every day and from both sides of my intelligence, the moral and the intellectual, I thus drew steadily nearer to the truth, by whose partial discovery I have been doomed to such a dreadful shipwreck, that man is not truly one, but truly two. You see, this idea presented here points that many of us deal with some type of alter ego. We all have a a hide waiting inside of us, hiding in the shadows. We may be thinking of someone who fits this description, and if we're honest with ourselves, sometimes this person is us. There are often things we do in the dark, in private, that we don't want anyone to see, but we do them anyway. Maybe it's pornography, getting drunk, having an affair, anger, drugs, gossip, you name it. Many times, we put on this facade of faith, but in reality, we live in a way where most people wouldn't know we're believers. We talk about our relationship with God around people, but in secret, in our time alone, we let these sins run our lives. Our hidden lives and indulgences destroy our relationships, our lives, and our faith. Jesus warns us specifically what this means. He says, you hypocrites. Well did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. The word hypocrite he used here comes from the Greek word hypocrites, which means an actor. The Greek word took on an extended meaning to refer to any person who was wearing a figurative mask and pretending to be someone or something they were not. The actor would hold these near full-length masks in front of them as they spoke and acted out classic stories and dramas. Much like Dr. Jekyll hid who he was by becoming Hyde, we sometimes put on this disguise of a good person or a believer, but our actions don't support the costume. It kind of reminds me of another famous monster, the Phantom of the Opera as well. I mean, If you know that story, it's a man who was disfigured and hid himself away behind a mask. He wanted to do this because he had scars that he wanted to hide. You see, when Jesus warns us about being hypocrites, he is saying, don't hide behind false masks. Don't be untrue. Jesus is telling us to stop pretending to honor God, but to love God with all your heart. I mean, even if you don't call yourself a believer, you might deal with what wearing a mask really looks like. We have standards as a society and as a people, and and there are things we hide because we know these will harm our relationships our marriages, and our families. We all struggle to hide our own Mr. Hyde from existence. We have those worldly indulgences that we deal with. This is the reality of a sinful nature that plagues who we are. Now, there was a man who dealt with this very thing in the the Bible. We talk about him a lot as Christians because, quite frankly, he wrote most of the New Testament. His name was Paul. Now, before Paul came to be, he actually was a guy named Saul. And Saul was not a good guy. He was a religious zealot, and he went around murdering Christians. He did not believe in Jesus, and so he wanted to persecute anyone who was spending the time spreading the teachings of Jesus. He was actually responsible for stoning one of the disciples, Stephen. But however, as he was heading on the road to Damascus one day, he encountered Jesus, and he actually was blinded. And so after staying with the believer, Ananias, Saul was converted and became known as Paul. He was kind of a backwards Jekyll and Hyde story. So then he went out and started preaching and spreading the teachings of Jesus. Like many of us, Paul spent a part of his life living a way that was not bringing him full life. And he had not yet discovered his identity in Jesus. But that changed for him. And that's today's big idea is that our mistakes don't define Who we are to Jesus. I think as a people, we struggle with the idea of who we really are inside. Are we the person who God intended us to be? Are we the sinner who continually makes the same mistakes over and over? Are we even sure who we were meant to be? As a result, we tend to focus on our failures and we let those define our identity as a person. Maybe it's addiction you've struggled with, with substances. Or pornography or overeating. You defined yourself as an addict. This is who you are. Maybe it's your anger. Maybe you struggle with anger and just like last week we learned, you, you defined yourself by your temper and your reaction to stress in your life. Maybe you're someone who's a workaholic and you define yourself by your success in the workplace or the amount of money you amass. This is what makes you feel important. You could be someone who's built your image solely on the physical relationships you have. You've placed your worth in each sexual encounter, and these make you feel loved and accepted. For so many of us, we have let these poor choices and decisions be the definition of our lives. Even after Paul was converted to a new life and identity, he struggled with the same idea. We're going to read a part of a letter that Paul wrote to the Roman church at this time. This letter was written to a people who were divided. The Gentiles, or the non-Jewish people, were learning to be Christians, and the Jewish people were trying to tell them how to live. Both of these groups had ideas about what being a believer should look like. As a result, they were in turmoil with each other. The world of their time was struggling with sickness, with anger, hate, and a governing body that was not looking out for their best interests. I wonder if we might know what that feels like. Well, Paul was trying to help these two sets of people. And one of the main things he wanted to share with them was the personal struggles they would have to work through to be able to have a full life in Jesus. Here's what Paul wrote in Romans chapter 7. For I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law. That is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. We all want to live a sin-free life, but our resistance is weak. Paul's pointing that out right here. He had desires to do what is right and proper in the eyes of God, but his flesh was weak. How many of you have struggled with the willpower to do what is right being less than what you want? I know I've had my moments where I want to avoid doing the wrong thing, but my choices and my resolve have not allowed me to do this. I've tried to rely on my own strength, and this leads me to something I think we need to remember. Remember? We need to rely on God to give us strength. God is the ultimate power in the universe, and yet so many of us don't turn to Him when we need support and strength in the eye of the storm. You see, Paul, he wrote another letter to the church in Ephesus, which was another region of his time. And in this letter he writes, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Now, we oftentimes take passages like this, and and we read them in a vacuum and we forget other things that were happening around this part of the letter. While this passage is true and helps to understand there is a need to rely on the strength of our Father in heaven, we can also learn so much from the context of this part of the Scripture. You see, Paul wrote this letter to the Ephesian people to teach them three basic ideas. God's redemptive work in Jesus Christ, the unity of all believers across different cultures and people, and that we must live as a new people. Note the first thing Paul wanted them to understand, that all of this comes from the redemptive work of Christ. Prior to this idea of strength, Paul made it clear to write about how our redemption comes from Jesus and not our own strength. He wrote, For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But with anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. I love that idea that what is exposed to the light becomes visible. Darkness works like that, doesn't it? I mean, when I was a kid, I was afraid of the dark. There was no reason to be scared of the dark. And and nothing had truly ever happened to me in the dark that caused this fear, but it was still there. In the dark, you can't see what's there. In the dark, things get close to you or attack you which you cannot see them coming. In my mind, all of the creepy crawlies and monsters were living in the darkness and were just waiting for their chance to get me. Now, as adults, most of us realize these fears are irrational, but even we have those fears still. We fear the things we cannot see. Our addictions, our judgments, biases, hatred, pain. Sometimes we choose to live in dark places because in those places we can hide our own fears, our own mistakes, our pasts, our indiscretions, and we hope that no one will see them. Even though we think we can hide those in the basements of our lives, we let those define who we are. We have stuff in our cellar that we can't purge, and we let that hold us back. Remember the big idea. Our mistakes don't define who we are to Jesus. Paul, as a sinner, and as we read before in his letter to Romans, he wanted to do better, but he often struggled with the idea of being a follower of Jesus while still struggling with living the way he had prior to having his eyes open. But you see, this is not where Paul ends this letter. He goes on to share the good news of Jesus to help those people. And now us understand that there's hope in Jesus. Paul wrote, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. By believing in the sacrifice of Jesus and letting him into your life, we can be freed of the sin and death, and we don't have to feel the need to hide ourselves away. When Jesus looks at you, he doesn't see a sinner. He doesn't see an addict. He doesn't see a liar or a cheater. He doesn't even see the sin in your life. He sees a child of his Father who he loves dearly. In the story of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, it ends with Jekyll taking his own life because he knew that he was becoming more and more like Hyde. When he looked in the mirror, he stopped seeing himself and was seeing more of the monster inside. Have you been there? Have you looked at yourself? And because you have defined your life based upon your mistakes, you've stopped seeing who you really meant to be and instead started seeing what you didn't want to be? Listen close here. This is what Paul wanted you to know. This is what God wants you to hear. Jesus sees who you are to him. He looks at you like a father looks at his child. He looks at you with love. Unconditional and unassuming love. That's it. You may put on masks. You may put on costumes and hide yourself from Jesus and live in the darkness, but let me tell you, it won't do any good. Jesus wants to remove the mask from your face and say, Take that mask off. Yeah, you've got scars. Stop hiding that beautiful face from me. You're hiding in the darkness because you're afraid that if Jesus sees you, he will know the things you've done. Jesus is taking his light into the darkness, not to shine a light on your mistakes so that he can judge you, but because he's reaching out his hand to a child lost in the night saying, Take my hand. I want to bring you into the light. Our mistakes don't define who we are to Jesus. We've all messed up. I've done it. You've done it. Christians and non-Christians alike, we've all made mistakes. And if we're really honest with ourselves, we'll do it again. This is not what Jesus wants us to use to define our lives and our relationships with each other or with Him. He wants us to remember that we are forgiven, made whole, and are adopted into the family of God simply because we are His children and because of the decision He made on that cross. Jesus is calling each of us to full life, and that starts by understanding who we are in His eyes. Today, I want you to think about the masks you're wearing or the dark places where you're hiding. Is it in your relationship? Is it in your addictions? Ask yourself why you're wearing these masks. And I want to challenge you to stop looking at these mistakes as being part of your identity. Instead, realize what they are. Poor choices which Jesus forgives even before we ask Him. Remove these masks. Step out into the light. And don't be ashamed to live as a child of God. Finally, if you haven't made the decision to surrender your identity over to Jesus, do that today. We oftentimes let our past or our inability to live perfect lives stand in the way of the decision to be sold-out believers. I want you to know that Jesus isn't looking for perfect. He's looking for you. Here in a few weeks, we're going to be celebrating baptisms, and on Monday, October 26th, we'll be having a baptism conversation about what this means. You can register online at the link below. I encourage you to attend this conversation and consider making that commitment to be a sold-out believer in Jesus Christ. Jesus' sacrifice has paved the way for right relationship with God. Just because we struggle with this sin or that sin does not mean we are doomed to a life of hidden lies and shames. Jesus made a way to be forgiven and for us to turn away from our sinful desires.